You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Go to 0 for 3 on the power play as Bluger drives it on the right wing. He scores. Teddy Bluger off the rush fires it up high as the power play was expiring or had just expired. Pass UC Saros and the third line continues to roll. It's 5 1 Vancouver. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is rough. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintex studios of beautiful Fairfield Slope in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, A-Dog, good morning to you. A-Dog. Good morning, buddy. And basketball, Ben. Good morning to you as well. Good morning. Oh, good start. Good start, everybody. Good start. Good start. Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Jason is here to tell you more with a fresh new read about Kintech. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech. Still haven't really delivered on no, that one yet. No. We got a big show ahead. It's our last show of 2024. Don't worry. There will still be programming at 6 a.m. for the next little while. But this is it for Jason and I as we say goodbye to 2023. We'll be back in January. I'm assuming the Canucks will still be a wagon in 2024, but we have a lot and, to get into. And hopefully our- you'll stop saying wagon in 2024. Maybe that can be your New Year's resolution. Wagon. Yeah, or at the very least, say it less. Uh, We have a big show ahead on our final show of 2024. At 6.30, Jeff Merrick is going to join the program. Host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast. Uh, We'll get into everything that the Canucks did last night in a big win. 5-2 over the Nashville Predators at Bridgestone Arena. We can also get into some stories from around the NHL. We may have another coaching issue on the horizon in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. They were having the uh, yeah. Don't don't get blown out at home by Columbus. Nine goals. Can you imagine if Columbus put up ten? That would have been bad. <laughs> uh, Jeff Merrick's going to join us at six thirty to talk about that. Seven o'clock. We ha- we usually do a like a, a book and author series leading into the Christmas break. We kind of been remiss on that this year, but we've got one today. Matthew Collar is the author of a new book, Football is a numbers game. So this is the look at the statistical revolution in the National Football League and college football through a company called Pro Football Focus. Uh, If you're looking for a book for the sports lover in your life, we'll give you more information on that. You can hear from the author at 7 o'clock. If you're looking for a book for the sports nerd in your life. Yeah, there's a there's an element of is this the money ball of pigskin, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk to Matthew about that. Also, uh, just... 
what the whole thing is about. Anyway, 8 o'clock, Satyar Shah is going to join us. Yes, Satyar Shah is going to join us. You hear him on Canucks Central. You hear him on Canucks pre- and post-game shows. He was working late last night. He's going to join us at 8 o'clock to talk about that 5-2 win for the Canucks over the Preds last night. Sometimes we just, like to have a, we just like to have a chat with Sat, mm-hmm. you know? Some of the things that uh, we need some more kind of like inter-show relationships. I banter, think. if you will. A little banter. Well, <laughs> Maybe, but you know, I like I I respect what uh, Sat thinks about the Canucks and what he's hearing about the Canucks. So I'm looking forward to our chat, and then we go on holiday. Yeah, and we are giving away as we continue in the Christmas spirit. We're giving away a pair of tickets yet again to a Canucks game. This time Tuesday. Tuesday, January 2nd at Rogers Arena. It's the Canucks and the Ottawa Senators with new head coach Jacques Martin. I'm assuming he'll still be the head coach by then. Uh, behind the bench. We're going to give those away to the best what we learn. So get your what we learns in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Hashtag it WWL. Put a ticket emoji into the text to be entered into the grand prize contest for a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Sens on Tuesday, January 2nd at Rogers Arena. Guest list working in reverse. 8 o'clock, it's Sat. 7 o'clock, it's Matthew Collar. 6.30, it's Jeff Merrick. That's what's happening on the program today. Ben, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Top line forwards, Elias Pettersson and Pugh Suter each had a goal and an assist last night. Canucks continue rolling on the road. A 5-2 victory over the formerly red-hot Nashville Predators at Bridgestone Arena on Tuesday night. Hughes and McKay have two assists each. Casey DeSmith, 26 saves. Canucks are now 8-2-1 in their last 11 games. Hard to say anything negative about the Canucks' performance last night in Nashville. And the only guy that might have been looking for something negative to hear about that game was Andre Kuzmenko, who was sitting in the press box. Um, a bit of an unexpected healthy scratch, although maybe not, considering he only played two shifts in the third of his last game. But, you know, if you look at all five goals that the Canucks scored, what's really nice is that there's a good mix of all types of goal scorings. Um, Elias Pettersson, the first goal, was a really nice piece of skill work by Petey. Um, Nils Amon, that came a little bit lucky, but it was on a forecheck, right? You put pressure on the other team's defense. Maybe sometimes they make a mistake, make a dreadful mistake, and somehow the puck squirts out in front of the goal to Nils Amon wide open. Nils Hoaglander goes to the net and tips the puck home, right? That's a hard working goal, uh, and that's the type of goal that Rick Tockett loves to see a player like Nils Hoaglander score. Pew Suter, Another hard-working type of goal because he had to go to the net and he had to get some leverage on his stick and kind of like force the puck under, I guess it was UC Saros still at the time. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, UC Saros looked like he had it covered, but Pusser was like, no, nope, you don't. Now it's in the goal. And then Teddy Bluger, that's a nice individual piece of skill as well on a nice pass from Quinn Hughes as well. So all five of those goals went in and you like the differences in scoring and I think it's a, in a it's a, like you know how we came into uh, the season um, going the Canucks need an identity 
maybe their identity right now is they can score in many, many different ways. Yeah, I think versatility is a real key to the team right now. We were talking about it yesterday and all the different looks that they can give you uh, and different ways that they can win hockey games, although mostly it's been let's get a lead going into the third period and then lock that bad boy down like they did last night. Quick strike offense was a new one that we saw yesterday. I hadn't seen that throughout the season. Fastest pair of goals that the Canucks have scored this year, the 31 seconds apart with Petey and Nils Oman. Do you know what was the funniest moment of the game? What was the funniest moment the of the game? The funniest moment of the game was when the uh, Nashville Predators, Jeremy Lauzon, one of my favorite players, scored at 14.23 of the second period. And everyone in Nashville was super excited. Mm-hmm, including except, Lozon. Except then, 14.38, Nils Hoaglander scored. And then at 15.24, Pew Suter scored. And while the Nashville Predators were announcing Lauzon's goal, the Canucks were up 4-1. to one, mm-hmm. Right? Like, he was announcing it, and he was trying to, like, the announcer was trying to do, like, his excitement voice. He was like... <laughs> Predators goal and like the the Canucks had already scored two goals. And Please everyone, avert your eyes from yeah. the ice. <laughs> and everyone in the rink was like, "Yeah, we're not going to cheer that hard for this because we just watched the Canucks score two more goals." It yeah, was, I, I, you rarely see that. Sometimes just one day, I want to hear the announcer go, "Preds goal." Uh, who cares? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's totally irrelevant now. It yeah. doesn't even matter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny, and they were like. Vancouver goal scored by number 21, Nils Hoaglander. Well, the two goals in the first period that they scored in 31 seconds, that kind of went from the game being, I mean, it was late in the first, so it was a fairly even affair in the first period. It looked like it was going to be scoreless going in to the dressing rooms, but because of the quick strike offense, the Canucks get up to nothing. And then you mentioned how you know quick the goals were, but I think it was important that DeSmith looked not pleased with the Lozon goal. Like He was not happy that he let that goal in. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a shot from a fair amount of distance without any screen. I thought Hironic got caught a little flat footed on that. Um, but yeah, he wasn't very happy with it. And the, the Canucks were able to pick up their net minor by scoring two in 46 seconds, another quick strike offense, and then mm-hmm. really coasted from there, took it in the third period. Um, and that was it. And I think that, you know, again, I mentioned this yesterday where I was like, what is the identity? What is what you know when when talk it talks about staples and non negotiables and everything else? What does it mean, big picture? And this is a very versatile team, way more versatile than I thought that they would be at any point during this season. And when I'm talking about ways that they can beat you, is that hey, they're no longer you know completely reliant on the power play like they were in games past and it stretches past. They went over three on the power play yesterday. No problem. They score five times at evens. Four goals from four different lines last night. Like everybody got in on the offense, right? Mm-hmm. And you look at it and you're like, okay, if star players are having off nights, if your starting goalie decides that he needs a night off or the coach decides he needs a night off after getting the NHL second star of the week, no problem. You've got enough faith into Smith to come in and get the job done. And you're looking and then I think, you know, I hate I hate talking about the Kuzmenko thing because it feels like we're accentuating one of the rare negatives and what was an otherwise sea of positivity, but hey. It's a big story though. You can have a 30 you talk about it. You can have a 39 goal scorer who just signed an $11 million contract in the offseason, not play well, and really give you nothing, mm-hmm. and you've got other guys that can step up and fill the void. Now, long-term, I don't know, but who cares about the long-term at this point? Um, I'll say this. 
I don't even care. I just want to get to 2024. <laughs> like, I could care less. Um, that is last day of work before a vacation talk. Just keep it rolling, boys. Keep it rolling. Hugh <laughs> Suter, first line winger. Yeah, roll with it. Actually, you know what? I don't think it's a ideal fit, mm-hmm. but it's certainly getting the job done right now. Suter has three points, and granted, super small sample size, but three points in the two games that he's played up there. All the things that you expect him to do, like make smart, heady, high IQ plays, he does. Yeah, he is a smart player. He's not he's a smart defensive player. He's not going to be an elite sniper. He's not going to be one of those top line $10 million wingers that a lot of the other great centers get to play with, but he's getting the job done. And I think that's the big thing. Mm-hmm. If the mantra for the Canucks is anything, Jason, it's they get the job done. And you couldn't say that about teams in years past. And PD was good last night. Yep. PD played well. And, you know, that goal that he scored, the first goal of the game, there aren't many players in the NHL that can shoot a puck like that. And it was uh, it was nice to see. And, um, you know, again, his production has been there all season. It's just a matter of eye test in a lot of ways with Petey. And maybe this new combination with Suter, uh, Pedersen, and McKay, maybe they can roll with that. Um, I, I do think we should discuss McKay, um, uh, Kuzmenko and, and whether or not he's going to be headed another back-to-back scratch. Because How do you put him in? Like, I get it. You kind of have to put him in, but how can you put him well, in? Well, the Does argument to put him back in the last time, <laughs> yeah, I know. the argument, well, hold on. The no. argument to put him back in last time, remember, was they were playing back-to-back. And they went into San Jose, and that was the second of a back-to-back, and you're kind of sitting there. And the Canucks weren't playing as well as they are right now. And they were – it was like, well, put them back in there, maybe some fresh legs. And ultimately what happened was the Canucks lost to San Jose, which wasn't a good look. Mm -hmm. Um, This feels a little bit different, although I do wonder – and I kind of threw this out on Twitter yesterday just for fun – I do wonder if a guy like Sam Lafferty could come out of the lineup. And the only reason I say that is because um, I think his play has slipped a little bit. He was the low time on ice yesterday, um, too. Tockett has acknowledged even that his play has slipped a little bit. Obviously, I mean, he's down on the fourth line. Um, now, I got some pushback and saying, well, no, it's got to be Phil DiGiuseppe. Are you sure? Because D- Phil DiGiuseppe kills penalties and Sam Lafferty doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the penalty kill yesterday was perfect. Not many chances for the Preds, but it was perfect, right? So um, if there's a – and there's there's almost like a – you know, Phil DiGiuseppe has already been scratched a couple times, and Sam Lafferty was the guy that came in and everyone was throwing roses at him and saying he was so great, and he was, right? He was a nice pickup. Yep. But sometimes you have to remind those guys of – what brought them their success, right? They're, like Sam Lafferty um, has bounced around the NHL, right? Mm-hmm. He's not, he didn't come to Vancouver and all of a sudden become just like, he's a, he, he's a top six forward, right? Like he's, he's an everyday NHL or he'll, he'll never go through any problems again. So I was just wondering, I was just wondering if I'm talking, I'm not make for the record, if I'm talking, I'm keeping Kuzmenko in the in the press box, right? Like after that performance, I'm just going with the same guys. They've got an optional practice uh, today in Dallas, so you can go if you want. Um, <laughs> but so there's I a, will yeah, sure there's, show up. There's an optional practice today in Dallas. Um, you know, it, I'm not making any changes. There, there should, fatigue shouldn't be a problem. It's not a matter of you. You got to get some fresh legs in there, um, but. 
I just wonder about Lafferty. That's all. Just kind of keep everyone honest. Okay, well, keep to, everyone honest. That's for, all. For me, <laughs> no one gets too comfortable on the Vancouver Canucks. Right, but that's a dangerous way to go about your. I mean, either way, it's dangerous business, right? You keep Kuzmenko in the press box, and that's gonna you yeah, can see dangerous. problems on the yeah, horizon. Sure, you take Lafferty out or anybody out after a emphatic team oriented five two victory over a team that was thirteen and three in their last sixteen games. Like that is one of the, if not the most complete games the Canucks have played this season. And by that yeah. I mean we're talking about answered all the bells. When the bit of adversity came with the so so goal from Lozon, they responded with two goals. All four go- all four lines gave them a goal. Everybody was rolling. Do we have the clip from Tockett talking about how the team loves to defend? I think this is an interesting one to play because he really seemed enthused and jazzed about everybody loving the way that they defend the middle of the ice. They give up shots on the outside. And it's fine because they got so much faith in their goalie. It feels like everybody is all in on this. Yeah. And then there's one guy in the press box that is either isn't quite getting it or just Defend, defending is really fun when it works. Or well, when you're winning. No, no, no. It's less like, fun when you're losing. No, no, no. But it, it it is really fun to frustrate the other team. Sure. And if you talk to the top, for example, penalty killers, they they love that job when it's going well because mm-hmm. you get to frustrate the other team. And that's fun, right? Especially on the road. Let's hear more from the head coach, Rick Tockett, now about his team loving to defend. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really, I really proud of the guys that are defensive. Just, I, I was watching, you know, sometimes we'll, you know, we get out of position, but not very often. Like you can watch and guys are, I just like the way they play defense. You know, they're, they're protecting the middle. If we got to give a shot, we give the outside shot. Um, so I think that's really what I really like about this team is that they really, whether they enjoy it or they buy into it, they just love the way we defend the puck. And against this team here, I mean, they they they, they can they have a lot of offense. They can go, and I think we defended them really well tonight. Uh, so we got a few texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line. I like this one. Uh, you want to make sure no one gets comfortable. Scratch Quinn Hughes. Do it. Mess with their heads. Got to keep them on edge. Keep them on edge. Yeah, you can't get Quinn. Him, you're can't, sitting tonight. Yeah. What? He won't see it coming. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you that. What? Uh, here's another one. Keep Kuzmenko out. Was nice to see twelve forwards that all four checked hard. Another question. Do you think it's personal between Kuzmenko and Tockett or strictly performance? I think it's strictly performance. It might be getting a little bit personal right now. One mentioned he, he scored a goal and then he scratches him. I don't think he cares if he scores goals. Like he's he like wants him to do the yeah. Right it's thing. like I don't great. You scored a goal, but you're not doing the other ninety yeah. percent of the game that I want you to do. So does it's this very difficult a- for a coach to come in and preach all these things and say like we have to do these. These are non negotiables. This is the way we're going to play. This is our go- going to be our identity. We 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 need structure. We need we need we need things that. Like the Vancouver Canucks play this way, and then to make an exception for someone, so does very this make, difficult to do that. Does this make him like a trade chip moving forward? Given that if he's not in the lineup, five and a half million dollars. It kind of has to be. I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, the Canucks. I, d- have been, I doubt they're happy about the way it's unfolded because his trade value is. Well, it's free. That was like people been, are calling about him, right? So I yeah. Mean, well, yeah. Jim Rutherford has admitted, like you know, like we're not gonna. Not answer the phone if someone's talking yeah. about Kuzmenko. Um, you know, the reports so far have been that other teams are calling on Kuzmenko. Yeah. Not necessarily that the Canucks are making calls out. And I think that does mean something, right? But you also wonder, hmm, how did those reporters get the information about teams calling on Kuzmenko? Could that have come from the Canucks? <laughs> 
to encourage a few more calls on Kuzmenko. So the, the biggest know? issue that they've got right now in terms of trying to build them back up or, you know, trying to get back to that 39-goal level is that, and Sat and Bick were talking about this on the postgame show yesterday. With the other guys that talk it sort of done the disciplinary thing with or, you know, broken out the whip, and he's like, you know, we're going to break you down and we're going to build you back up. It was the two guys in particular, I think, that stand out are Hoaglander and Dakota Joshua, right? Those are the guys mm-hmm. that kind of got the tough love treatment. But there was a way to bring them back, and that was to start them on the fourth line. You go from out of the lineup to in the fourth line, and then gradually, if you make your mark and you do the staples and you don't negotiate the non-negotiables, you get a chance to play more, move up the lineup. The problem with Kuzmenko is he's, he can't put him in on the fourth line. You can't, you well, can't, you could, you could, but you're not if, as good. But you could if Suter's there. But if Suter's going to be up with Pedersen, I don't think it makes much. Well, sense. exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like you're talking about bringing him out of the lineup for Lafferty, and then I look at him like, well, it makes the fourth line worse if the fourth line's going to do what the fourth line's going to yeah. do, right? Yeah. They, no. they were on the ice for a goal yesterday. They did everything they needed to do. They didn't get a ton of ice time. But if Kuzmenko's going to get back to eleven million dollar thirty nine goal guy, he's going to need to play. Top line minutes, and he's going to need to be on the power play. He's going to need to play with guys where he can put the puck in the back of the net. That's where his value lies. Mm-hmm. The problem is that Tockett's not going to give that to him because he doesn't feel like he's earned it. He's doing the things that all the other guys on the team are doing. And the power play, I don't think, is that much better with him on it versus Hronik on it's it. It's not like he's a huge difference maker on it. Yeah. Right, he's a good he's a good power play option, mm. but they have other ones. He's like, we can use this guy, we can use that guy. Yeah, you know, I mean, so I it's a real conundrum from a managerial perspective because right now, like Tockett is fine, they're winning games. The team's fine, they're winning games. And if Kuzmenko's not happy about it, no one's going to find out anyway because he's stuck in the press box. Unless he goes the agent route and starts openly complaining through his representation, which is a possibility, because I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but his agent is rather vocal and uh, rather active on social media. So it's there's always something that could happen. I mean, this is the same Dan Milstein that orchestrated Zadorov's trade to Vancouver. Well, Mil- right? Milstein isn't going to do anything that's going to affect his relationship with the Canucks, though. He, he isn't. He isn't going to pull an Alan Walsh. He isn't. I guarantee it. Well, his his, his allegiances lie with his clients, not the club. Um, yeah. Well, he's got a pretty good allegiance <laughs> with yeah. the club, too. That may have changed slightly. Yeah, yeah. like he's got to get... The he hasn't is, been like, named assistant general manager yet, okay? He's got it's to still get, time. He's got to get the Zadorov, Zadorov deal done with the Canucks, and that's a pretty big commission for him, I imagine. So I think he's... he's you know what? Yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch to see how he does that. Uh, We're going to talk to Jeff Merrick coming up next. um, But I do want to talk about a few things that happened in the NHL last night. Um, Do you remember how we talked about the Edmonton Oilers and said, like, yeah, they need to win a bunch of games in a row, which they did. But then they also need to keep winning at a high rate. Like, they can't go into another funk. Well, it kind of looks like they're going into another funk because since that eight-game winning streak, they've lost three in a row now. Uh, they lost to the Islanders last night, three to one. So we'll talk to Jeff about the Oilers, um, but we might have to lead with the Buffalo Sabers, who are the sad club brethren with the Vancouver Canucks, and they are thirteen, seventeen, and three. Uh, and they just lost to one of the worst teams in the league at home 
by a score of nine to four. Nine goal offensive explosion for the Columbus Blue Jackets last night. It was seven to one for Columbus fairly early on Mm -hmm. in that game. And it was funny because I looked at it. I was like, oh, Columbus, don't blow it this time, right? Because Columbus had recently gone into Toronto and had a 5 nothing lead, and they blew that, and they still managed to win it in overtime. But still, that's embarrassing. So they were up big on Buffalo, and they made sure to put this one away. They end up beating the Sabres again in, bu- in Buffalo, 9-4. Mm-hmm. to four. And remember... The narrative going into the season in that division, it was there were three teams that were looking to move up in this world. One was Ottawa. Well, they haven't done it, and they just fired their coach. One was Detroit. They've kind of done it. They did it early on. But then they they brought Patrick Kane Kane on, and they've kind of fallen apart. Uh, And the other was the Buffalo Sabres. And a lot of people would have chosen the Buffalo Sabres based on the fact that they had shown some gradual improvement. They had shown some signs of life, especially under their coach, Granado. Um, And it just hasn't happened for whatever reason this year. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Just the number of songs that gets me. It's like a black eye. Uh, was it a? Was it the peas? What's that band called? Black, black eyed peas. peas. It's like a black eyed peas Christmas song. You were so song. close. You had the black eyes. I wasn't sure. Like, I just hate the band so much. I can't remember their name. It literally says a, a hip hop backing track topped with Christmas sounds, bright and light. It's it's the volume of songs. It's not that the genre exists. I've pretty much wrapped my head around that now. Hey dog, are you a because you're a musician? Are you a music snob? I wouldn't say that. I mean, I don't like bad music. <laughs> Whenever a dog that make me a snob and says "good trip, good pick," I feel no. Really it de- I guess like, what do you define as? Oh, it's so bad. Music. Oh, I, you can't. It's subjective. Right. What's Here. bad to one person is good to another. I don't. I'm not really. I, people like what they like. I don't. Is this just yeah. because, is I like to rag on the Black Eyed Peas because I just I'm not yeah. a big fan. I just find it very cookie cutter. But hey, you know what? If you like them, whatever. I don't care. So you don't believe in like guilty pleasure music? I find that. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, there's definitely pop acts over. Like, uh, I remember back in the day, I loved Brian Adams. Like, that's what is that's what that's to me is guilty pleasure music. That's not that's not this is what I'm. No, sorry, but I should say like I should say ballads. Oh my god! I should say like ballads specifically, like uh, everything I do, do for you or whatever. The one from song. It is a lovely song. Thank Mm -hmm. you. I know, but see, some people would classify that as like. You know, more cookie cutter stuff. Let's but not I, I love that kind the of career stuff. Brian Adams. Let's try. Hey, <laughs> he's a he's a Canadian Canadian icon. I just came to that one first because I really like uh, pop ballads specifically, mm-hmm. and some people have, namely my ex bandmates, have ragged on me over the years for that. But I'm a big pop ballad guy. What about Her- I think if you could write up a good pop ballad, that's incredible because it's very hard to do to write a good one that isn't super cheesy. What about hair metal ballads, like uh, like November Rain and stuff like that? Uh yeah. Was, every rose has its thorn or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Poison, poison stuff. I, <laughs> that isn't my thing so much, but I, I love a good '80s or '90s rock ballad. Okay, you're all Bri- Brian Adams is among the best. You're all missing the point, but that's it's unfortunate that we have a radio show. And we need to move along. You're missing but, the point that Adog threw Brian Adams under the bus. Well, there. I'm just clarifying. I didn't because I'm saying he's excellent at that. And I to love me, that's music my gu- like Brian Adams. <laughs> 
Maybe this is why Sat never agrees to come on the show. <laughs> Joining us now from Canucks Central, Canucks pregame, Canucks postgame, graciously waking up early to do this, Satyar Shah here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Sat? What's going on, boys? What's going on, boys? I mean, uh, as you know, Mike, uh, I live and die by uh, how Chelsea performed. So they won yesterday. So I went to bed feeling good last night. So I was, it was easy getting up today a little bit earlier. Uh, yeah, and my son, who is also a diehard Chelsea supporter, breathlessly recapping their Carabao Cup victory. I'm like, that's great, son. Congratulations. You'll always have that third-tier trophy. <laughs> Middle of the it. table. <laughs> assuming, assuming they win it. I think they got Fulham or Middlesbrough in the final. Anyway, I digress. Uh, another big win for the Canucks last night. You know, it's funny. I actually, I was like, I don't know if we should talk about Kuzmenko because then people will accuse us of focusing on the negative when there were so many positives because there are so many positives with this team right now. And that's not something I've said I've got about a good way, I've got a good way to do it, to, me, to ask the question. Okay. Did the Canucks play so well last night that it would be impossible to get Kuzmenko back into the lineup Thursday against Dallas? Yeah, short of an act of God, and that's somebody getting sick ahead of the game on, on Thursday. I don't think we're going to see Kuzmenko. I mean, what four are you taking out after the game in Nashville? Was that maybe not one of the most complete road games we've seen? Like, did they have a single passenger up front? Nope. It was uh, a goal from each line, right? All four lines contributed mm-hmm. a goal. Uh, Jason thought it could potentially, and just in just theory, potentially. be Sam Lafferty because he was the low TOI guy yesterday. Doesn't kill doesn't kill penalties, and you got to keep those guys honest. But you bring up a good point. It's like you just had the most complete team effort of the season. You got the coach lauding them for how much they love to play collective team defense. How do you make any changes to that? Well, I don't think you can. And, and I think, you know, it's one of those things where I think they have to do their best to get more out of Kuzmenko. But I thought it was really fascinating listening to Pedersen game last night. And he mentioned playing alongside Pew Suter and how having two reliable wingers, guys that know where to be, guys that can track back and support him, made his life a lot easier. And I don't think it was a veiled shot at Andre Kuzmenko. But I think what it was, was it was the first thing that came to mind for why they were effective and told us, Maybe why those line that line hadn't been quite as effective with Kuzmenko on the wing. And that's not to put all all that on Kuzmenko. Pedersen has had his struggles too, but there seems to be more than hey, he's not following our staples in terms of the coach not being happy. When a guy doesn't play like this and gets demoted, maybe it has something to do with maybe the players that he plays with typically are also confused when he's on the ice. And I think that probably plays a part into why Kuzmenko is getting healthy scratched again. It probably goes a bit beyond just the head coach not being happy with how he plays because. If you don't quite have the trust of your teammates on the ice, then how can you put the guy in that position until he figures some stuff out? So, Sat, where does this go with Kuzmenko? Because we might have reached a point where we can ask the question, well, if he hasn't gotten it by now, is he going to get it? Well, it's a fair question. I mean, it, it stops being early when you're over a third of the way into the season, right? Like, I mean, we're going to hit the halfway mark of the season in a few weeks, and the next thing you know, it's the trade deadline is going to be around. I, I mean... I still look at it and say, I don't know if there's a trade out there that's going to be, that's going to work out for the team in season. So I don't know if they really have any options where they're willing to cut bait because they've shown an MO so far as a front office that as much as, yeah, they have guys that want to move. And Brock Besser was a big example of that this past offseason. At no point were they going to take a huge loss on making that trade. And right now, I'm just not sure if anybody's giving you real value to grab Kuzmenko considering he's a year left on his deal. That's not to say teams don't want him, but I don't know if the Canucks would want to take a hit on making that type of trade. So I don't, I just don't know if they're going to have the possibility to get what they want in terms of trade. So I don't know if they have an option other than trying to make this work. And 
if, if it comes down to, okay, this guy needs to figure out just the staples and, and do what, the basics in terms of what we expect and his linemates expect from him, I don't think it's that high of a bar to cross. And you saw him post-game in the little video that Canucks posted of the celebrations, right? He's there fist-bumping the guys. We don't get any audio now because I think it's all rights-related in terms mm-hmm. of music and stuff like that. But there's no audio. We see Kuzmenko, like, very happy, you know, giving the guys daps coming off the ice. So clearly he's not sitting there and pouting. And when I ask people around the team, they're like, hey, he's well-liked. He's a guy that does care. He does work. So I'm not sure I'm at a point where, where I think it's, it's about to fall apart that Milstein's on the phone about to call these guys and say, get my client the hell out of there. Like, he, he, from what I've heard, he loves the city. He likes being here. So I don't know if we hit the point where it's untenable, but I, I, I am wondering, is it going to be able to work in terms of success this year at some point? Does he get it where they can trust him to a level where he can be back in the lineup heading into the postseason? Because I think the days of him being this 40-goal scorer or 39-goal scorer just hanging around doing his thing are going to be gone. Can he be a 25-goal scorer that does the basics right. I mean, I think that's kind of the bar we're looking for. And I don't think that's the hardest bar to cross. So I still have some hope we can figure it out. But, you know, it, it stopped being early once you're over a third of the way into the season. Should we also note that the Canucks have, aside from a few guys, been remarkably healthy this season? Uh, you look at, you know, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller, all those guys have played 33 games, all 33 games for the Vancouver Canucks. So, there might be an opportunity for Kuzmenko just in case, you know, just if the Canucks injury luck runs out. Well, and it probably will at some point, right? And not, not to, uh, you know, be be negative or anything, but, I mean, injuries are going to happen. And right now, you're right. I mean, Tuck's have been so remarkably healthy. And, and hopefully it's nothing long-term. There will be an opportunity for him to get back into the lineup. Like, that will absolutely happen. And, listen, he may not play against Dallas, but I don't think it's going to be a situation where he probably doesn't get into the lineup by, thir- by Saturday. I mean, I think a guy like Phil DiGiuseppe, for instance, he played a good game, had a strong performance as a line. Um, but is he the type of guy that's going to really force his way to stay on that roster beyond say maybe Thursday's game like I wouldn't be surprised if we see Kuzmenko back on Saturday against the San Jose Sharks so I think he's going to get that chance there but you're right like they are going to have some injuries and there is going to be opportunities for them to get back playing that role but the thing I wonder about is if he doesn't figure out the staples and by the staples I simply just mean so checker guys I think it's more about okay if you're the first forward in because that's just what happens sometimes you have to go to a certain spot and when you're at the end of your shift and you're tired, and even though you don't think you're tired, you got to dump the puck in and get off. You can't try to make a spin at the blue line, right? And he does those sort of things, not every shift, but he does it once or twice a game. And then you look at uh, how sometimes he'll feel like he sees a soft spot on the ice, and instead of being where he's supposed to be, he goes to that soft spot, and that creates confusion by, for the players in the offensive zone. So again, I don't think, the, I think he, those are the things he has to hone in on. And I was mentioning this on the postgame show last night. Uh, even if he plays on the fourth line, I don't think he has to go out there and, and be this crazy checker or go out there and score. It's simply, can you just play disciplined hockey and do the things we want from you for one or two games? And if you do, it will give you a chance to get back up there again. So I do think the injuries will play a part, but I think he's at a point now, it's kind of like when you're trying to teach a kid a lesson, it's like, just do this basic. And if you can do this basic right, I'll give you the reward. But until you do that, I don't care about the goals and the points. Just to clarify, there's been no indication that Kuzmenko's healthy scratches have anything to do with his fitness levels, right? No, I, mean, I haven't heard anything about that. I've asked about that, too. I've heard none of that. I'm coming into training camp, he was in good shape. I mean, there was a lot made about you know him going to Bali and whether you know that was uh, as good as it was supposed to be or not. But I heard nothing about Kuzmenko in terms of his fitness. And if anything, he showed up to camp in better shape than he was last year. He tested really well. 
I mean, I think there was only one or two guys, and one of them who didn't test well, which was Dakota Joshua, and the coach wasn't afraid of mentioning that to the media either. Mm-hmm. So I don't really, I, I think he, and even Pew Suter, I think, showed up to, and not in the shape that I think they thought he could be at. I think they were, they were probably the only two guys currently on the roster that maybe weren't at the level of fitness they had hoped a lot of these guys would be at, but I've heard nothing about Kuzmenko being out of shape. Um, when we talk about contract extensions, we talk a lot about PD and whether or not he's going to do a short-term or a long-term deal. What about Philip Peronik? Um, Are you assuming a long-term contract for him? He's 26 years old. Or do you think he could sign a deal where maybe he goes three or four more years and leaves himself with the opportunity to sign another big contract when he turns 30? Well, it's fascinating because of, uh, of who his agent is. And I, I've seen Alan Walsh talk about how the cap should rise. And if the cap rises, the guys can get paid more. So he's one of those guys that I think would look at a big picture and, and certainly tell his client that there could be value in doing something short term. The thing I come around to, though, is and usually when guys have career years the way Veronica is having, they usually cash in while they can. So I'd imagine that as much as you, know, you could look at it and say, fine, two or three year, year deal. Is there any way Philip Veronica has a better productive year without being a power play one fixture than he is this season when the Canucks are scoring pretty much everything they put on net more or less. And not to say they're just lucky they're playing well too, but things are really going their way. Is he going to have a better case to get more money than he has right now, unless he gets a free agency. So I still view it as he, unlike Pedersen is probably more mulling the longer term deal. And it's really hard for a player to bypass the type of security. I mean, we're only spent a decent amount of money, but anytime you put, say 55, 56, close to 60 million total money in front of a guy who's maybe earned 10, 12 million in his career so far. It's very hard for those guys to say no to that. Do you think they could give him a cap hit higher than Quinn Hughes or is that going to be the bar? Oh man. So I've thought about this a lot and I think in terms of where the cap is going, you could think think of it as, you know, the cap's going to rise and you look at the percentage of the cap and when Hughes signed it versus when Hironic signed it, you can make an argument and say, hey, giving him $8 million based on a cap that's going to be higher is actually less of a percentage of the cap than Hughes got, so technically you're paying him less. But the numbers still matter. And I don't know if this team wants to be in a situation where they're second-best defenseman and Hughes second-best by a pretty wide margin because of how good Quinn Hughes is, that so you're paying him more. If it's eight on the dot, could I see them perhaps doing that? Yes, but... I still look at it and say they probably want to get an eight-year deal maybe, and can you get that number to around seven or maybe slightly below, right? And I don't know if you can get it slightly below, but I think internally they, they do view it as like, the cues is our high watermark, and maybe somebody will pay close to it, but we prefer not to. I, I kind of view it as do you do the, the say, the – JT Miller signing, but eight years at seven and change something. So you get it by 57, 58 million. And that might be the bar. Like, I do think there's a walkway number for the Canucks. I don't think they're looking at it the same way to look at Patterson and say, hey, maybe we want to pay this guy, say, 11 and a half, but we'll do it to keep him. I'm not sure with Rona, you can say, forget it. Let's just give him eight, 8.2 to make it happen. I'm just not sure that's going to work long term. Um, have you heard anything about how the Canucks are going to time all this? Because They've suddenly got all these key pending UFAs, like these guys that are playing yeah. well, like Teddy Bluger. I thought he'd be good. I didn't think he'd be this good. Dakota Joshua has been a big part of the the Canucks' most consistent line. On the third line, um, you know, Nikita Zadorov. Uh, that's going to be an interesting contract negotiate, uh, considering um, what we've heard reported is that he wanted term with the Calgary Flames. I imagine he's going to want term with the Vancouver Canucks as well. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep a guy like Ian Cole, which means that 
you know, that's a veteran defenseman that they could, in theory, lose and would have to replace. Mm -hmm. And then Casey DeSmith, one of the better stories of the season for the Canucks and one of the better acquisitions for Patrick Alvin, he's a pending UFA as well. So how how did they time all this so that they're not hit with this massive crunch on July 1st? Yeah, and I think we have to view it as what other internal options are around for the team. And one of the things I've kind of heard is as much as they like all the UFAs they sign in a perfect world, they perhaps would like to keep most of them. That's just not going to be realistic. I mean, especially with the years these guys are having. Now, we're having this discussion, you know, at game after game number 33, and we'll see what the numbers of Dakota Joshua, Sam Lafferty, and even Casey DeSmith look like by, say, game 70. make two three million or so i won't be as strong at that point but right now you look at dakota joshua and it's like is somebody going to give him two million on the market perhaps sam lafferty as, as a big versatile bottom six uh, uh center can play wing can do a bit of everything for you guys like that typically get like maybe david conk money two two and a half three to four Did years you? could that happen for him and if those are the deals you're, you're looking at they could price themselves out and i think one of the things they, they've been really looking at is what are our internal solutions next season and for a guy like Teddy Bluger, I think they love to keep him. But what, what are you working towards with a guy like Niels Olman and perhaps even to a lesser extent, Atu Ratu? It's one of those guys potentially next year to come in and play a bottom six center role and do it full time at a entry level type of contract or the contract that Niels Olman signed. So I think that would kind of be the game plan for one of the centers, hopefully. And I'm, I'm and as good as Casey DeSmith's been, when you have the goalie foundation and you have Artur Silov and Ian Clark and some of the guys are trying to develop. Does it make any sense to give a guy who's going to be 32 or three years at $2 million plus to be your backup netminder? I'm just not sure that's going to happen. So I'd view those guys as kind of being, or Casey DeSmith especially, and even Teddy Blue could perhaps be their own rental, get through the year. It may be less likely they sign those guys. The one guy I really keep an eye on more than anyone is Tyler Myers because there's going to be interest in him as a big right-handed defenseman. Do they do the Luke Shen with him and say, hey, he's going to have real value, and if we – want to keep him at a cheap rate, say two years, two and a half million, we'll do it. But is he willing to do that? I wouldn't be surprised that we hear something around Myers in the next couple of months about, are they going to sign him or do they explore moving him and upgrading his position? That's the guy I keep the closest eye on. The rest, I think they might kind of use them as their own rentals based on how this season is going. So uh, this is uh, our last show, Halford and I, for uh, until the new year. And we're going to be watching the World Juniors over our break. Uh, Sweden's going to be real interesting to watch for Canucks fans with Lekker Mackey, Tom Willander, and D. Petey. Um, how far away are those guys? Oh, man. So I think, you know, Willander, when he went to college, I think some people viewed it as, hey, can he play one year and then come back? I viewed it as, you probably want to give him two years. So I look at Willander as being maybe two years away from playing games for you. I think Lekker is probably the same timeline away. I'd say DPD might be three years away. And I think it's exciting with, with how well LeCaron Mackey's played. I think it's exciting with how uh, Willander is adjusting fairly well. Has some struggles, obviously, but adjusting fairly well to the North American game. But like, look at it this way, guys. How often do you see players come in, spend a year after being drafted, come to the NHL and make an immediate impact? So let's say even if, even if Willander bucks all the trends and, and makes a team next season, is he doing anything more than being your sixth defenseman, maybe seventh defenseman? And LeCarrie given his size, given no, no familiarity with the North American game, there's no way he's going to come in and play in the NHL next season. And even if they do, as rookies, it might be a little bit uneven, right? It might, you know, they come play a little bit, might get sent down, you know, might get healthy scratched. 
So I look at it as, okay, maybe they're two years away from playing, but from making an impact, they're at least three years away. You know, you have to be realistic. As, as exciting as they are as prospects, I don't think you can view these guys as being top four, top six, or even everyday contributors for another two or three years. Sat, you, uh, I don't know if you guys get a lot of texts in about players like Travis Konechny in Philadelphia, or if it's just Mike in West Kelowna that is constantly texting us about Travis Konechny. Um, but, you know, I think if you look at this lineup right now, there's a case to be made, although we've liked so far what we've seen from Hugh Suter with Petey and Mikheyev, that if they could get a hard-nosed goal-scoring winger into that top six, it would go a long way. And, you know, maybe that's going to take moving out Kuzmenko. Maybe that's going to take even including a first-round draft pick. Have you heard anything about the Canucks' appetite to do something significant like that? So, you know, now the Konechny thing, I think you blame Dan Reach, though, because Reach loves uh, Travis Konechny, and he, he said he would even move a first-round pick to acquire Travis Konechny. So um, maybe you can blame him for consistently getting those Konechny uh, right. texts coming in okay. to the inbox. I, will, but, I, like, <laughs> I like to blame Dan Riccio, and I will in this case. Fantastic! It's great. You can blame him, and I can I can just bypass it as always. But uh, but as far as uh, connecting goes, or them trying to make that type of a trade, so I do think they're open to pretty much anything if they can get the price that they want. I think they're going to be reluctant to move the first unless um, unless they can get somebody with more control than one or two years. Now, Konechny, I think he's the type of player that they like, right? And I think he fits kind of the type of players that they've been after. Ivan Barbashev never got the free agency, but I think they would have loved to add him if they had more cap space and the chance to sit down and talk to him truly at the start of free agency. And if that would have happened, perhaps they could have convinced him to come to Vancouver, but he ends up staying in Vegas. And I think the player profile of a Barbashev and Konechny are somewhat similar. The only thing with Konechny is he's not the biggest guy, right? Like he plays hard, he's hard-nosed, but do they view that as the player that they want to give a first-round pick for? I think the guy they want to give, they, they give the first-round pick for would be somebody that's probably a little bit bigger or maybe somebody on the back end and somebody with a little bit more control. But I wouldn't be surprised that they're kicking the tires on those types of players right now. If they don't land the aforementioned goal-scoring winger that Bruff was pointing out there, how comfortable are they just rolling with Pew Suter there? Well, I mean, for the time being, I think you should be pretty comfortable with, with how Pew Suter's playing because of his overall defensive ability too, his versatility that he can play with. But it's not a long-term solution. The thing is, though, as much as you want to be in on this year, are you looking at it as copper bust, as in this is the best chance you're going to have in three or four years, or do you view it as the start of the window, like Rutherford said, that, okay, if, if things come along that we can do, we'll do it. But if not, we're comfortable running with this team and seeing where they take us. And once you get to the end of the season, maybe that better informs truly what you have, what you're lacking, and how to go about maybe addressing some of those things. And, you know, Pew Suter, it's interesting because – I view him still as being a center on this team, especially right. next season if you can't keep Teddy Bluger. So you can make it work on the wing now, but ultimately I'd imagine that they're viewing him as being a staple down the middle for them, maybe later this year heading into the postseason, but more especially next season. Do they well, know- it actually brings up, a, sorry, sorry to interrupt, brings up a big question about the first round draft pick is like they need some more centers in the organization, do they not? Well, they do. And I think if you go back to this year's draft, they liked Tom Willander a lot. The other guy they liked quite a bit was Nate Danielson. And I'm not sure which one they would have taken if both guys were available because Danielson got picked before Canucks picked at 11 by the Red Wings, right? But I, I heard they were really high on him. And they were looking at some of the centers in this year's draft. And Nate Danielson, 
big right-handed centerman, good defensively, has some offensive chops, right? It kind of made sense the profile that they're looking for. And considering that, not that they've solved their defensive prospects, right? I mean, they have more than they've had in the past. They haven't been treating players. But if you look at it from organizational depth, like Aturatu may be a winger. Right now, if you're looking at who's your best chance of being a bottom six center, it's probably Niels Olmont organizationally because Ratu may end up playing the wing ultimately. And if that's the case, go through your prospects too. There aren't a ton of guys that are burgeoning as uh, the centers that are coming through. So I do think uh, as much as we're sitting here and talking about, uh, yeah, trading for a guy long-term, adding another center to the mix is going to be important. And even bigger picture, it's like right now, JT's doing more than fine playing center. But in two or three years, is he going to be better off transitioning to the wing and then as he ages out now you're getting a power winger that you're asking less of instead of a 34 35 year old center you're asking a lot of for instance so i do think there needs to be a succession plan there where you can shift him to the wing in a couple of years but the only way you can do that is having a guy you develop and you have to get that guy into your system so it's a good point as much as they're willing to trade that first i do think they still want to add uh, a prospect center and that's something to keep an eye on though like in terms of Niels Hoglander, the other moves that they make. We always look at, hey, what if they go out and make this top six edition? What if they make a top four edition? What if they do something that's a bit different in terms of trading a prospect or a younger player for another younger player that plays a position that they're looking for? And would that be something they explore? Our last guest of our last show of the year was also one of the best. Sat, thanks for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Enjoy the holidays. Let's do this again in 2024. Hey, my pleasure as always, boys. Merry Christmas to you and yours, and uh, we'll chat again soon. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. That's Satyar Shah. Uh, you all know who he is. I don't even need to tell you what shows that he's on. He does he's them all. A, he's a, yeah, all of them basically. He just mm. did Halford and Bruff, mm. which is great. Okay, he looks so good on TV too. We never have a chance. People ask us, "Why don't you go on TV?" I'm like, "I'm not trying to match up with that." It's because of bloody look, 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 we yeah. got to deal yeah. with here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we don't stand a chance. He's well put together. He looks like he bathes every day. I'm not doing that. <laughs> True. We did we did television twice. It was twice too many. And everyone was like, "You guys are gross." Yeah. Thanks. I had I that's when I had the really long hair. Yeah. It wasn't good. Anyway, that's in the past. 2023's over. Why is the dude on television? <laughs> <laughs> they ties the room together. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.